You're listening to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian, joined with Paul. And uh, Paul, you look a little surprised. What was that look for? I hit the microphone and I'm not sure that uh, it's recording properly. Oh, who knows? We're a very low quality. Our budget's what? $8.09 for the Taco Bell we buy you before we record? Wait, we had Taco Bell? I didn't get Taco Bell. <sighs> you didn't even remember. I know. Actually, I haven't eaten Taco Bell in forever. Have you eaten Taco Bell? In- it's been a while. Let's go get some Taco Bell after this. Hmm. I actually changed my hot take now that I think about Taco We sh- Oh my gosh. No, no, we can't. Well, Why not? Do you want to get it's Taco right there. Bell? I'll come with you. We what? can get Baja Blasts. Oh my gosh. It's been no. so... We can get those little Cinnabon thingies. No, I can't. I can't do it. Here's my hot take though. Let's do it. <clears throat> Taco Bell looks yes. the same way going in as it does coming out. <laughs> you can't say that. Why? That, that's... Just falls. What if you get a Baja Blast? What are you doing to your first? Like, what's all, your intestines? What doing? is That's, a Baja Blast? I thought that was a drink. It is. So it doesn't look the same way. Actually, maybe I'm talking it does. about the taco it meat. It looks like Mountain Dew. I'm ta- oh gosh, I'm talking about the taco meat. You know what I'm saying? You eat it and you're like, hmm. She's gonna wash right through you. I can't believe we're having this conversation. It's is it not true? What if you get chicken? I don't know. I just. In my experience with Taco Bell, I mean, it, it's uh, it's as get- <laughs> advertised, shall we say. Are we going to get canceled now because we made fun Paul, of Taco Bell? you can't get canceled if nobody listens. Gotcha. That's true. All you people out there trying to cancel us, you can't. You can't take away an audience we don't have. This could just mean that your preferences and what you buy at Taco Bell are pretty limited. What do you get at Taco Bell? I get the the quesadilla, what's it called? The Contrap Supreme and the quesadilla. Like that's my go-to. It's been a while, but. What do we, I mean, how do you feel after you eat Taco Bell? Oh, terrible. You feel terrible. Not even just like physically, but morally, spiritually, emotionally. Grammatically. Grammatically. Stylistically. Stylistically, <laughs> aesthetically, all these things. Yeah. You're like, what am I doing in my life? I'm at a Taco Bell at and 2 a.m. And that's that's the thing. Taco Bell is always a twelve, a, a midnight to two a.m. decision. It's never Nobody's a fully eat, properly yeah, functioning you're, it's decision. Like, you're not, not going to be like, I'm going to eat Taco Bell three thirty in the afternoon. I've I've done that. What kind of psychotic know, monster are you? It was a it's low point a late in my life. Night thing because they're open and <clears> it just feels that's like true. you know what it is. What? It's like it's two a.m. and you've already made a, probably a string of poor decisions already. So you might as well cap it off with. Another poor decision. The moral of your hot take is if you do bad decisions, just keep doing bad decisions. That's what Lewis said, right? Every choice you're making <laughs> is turning you into a type of person. Every Taco Bell you order is transforming you into a certain type of person. Or rather, the choices before that Taco Bell are turning you into the type of person that would- It's a pretty tenuous connection. Taco Bell. But what I'm does still, tenuous mean? It means- Exactly. You made that up. Gotcha. Actually, All right. yeah. I so, know what does it mean? Tenuous means- uh, <laughs> It means tendonitis. <clears throat> it means poorly connected. That's right. That's right. But uh, I think that's just true. I, I mean, I shudder to think of the days when I used to eat a lot of Taco Bell. Was that really a time in your life? Maybe back. You know. You know what did it in high school or like middle school, high school. We would go to KFC and the, and, and the, the oddest merger. I mean, this is like Tex-Mex yeah. fusion before it was the a KFC, thing, right? KFC, Taco Bell. I mean, KFC, Taco Bell, I'm like, who, how did these two people end up together? But then yep. I was like, man, you could go to KFC <laughs> and get tacos with it. I know. It was great. You know what's worse? What? The Long John Silver's um, Pizza Hut. 
Like I've seen those as combination houses. Oh, that's even weirder. It's like horrible worse. pizza, horrible fish sticks. Man, I remember the KFC was so gross though. The inside of it. Food's good. <sighs> it was. It's just, I mean, it's delicious fried chicken. And then you graduate and go to Popeye's. You know, maybe that's another hot take because the Popeye <laughs> sandwich, I just got over it. I got over it. it after a couple. I know. We talked about this. Dalliances with it. You start to get sick of it. It's a little too greasy. It, it is it, greasy. It doesn't feel like a, a unit. Like <clears> a Chick-fil-A <throat> sandwich feels like a unit. Everything fits together. But the Popeye's thing, it, you, you're like, I'm eating two pieces of bread, some sauce, and a massive thing of chicken. That's literally every cohesion. single sandwich It doesn't ever. have cohesion. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't feel like it belongs together. Like I don't like you could take the fried chicken out of the Popeye's chicken and eat it alone. I don't think you can do that with a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you can't sandwich. pull the chicken out of a Chick-fil-A yeah, it, sandwich. But it, it would fundamentally change. The universe change. would not let you. <laughs> yeah, it, it. you can't understand the chicken patty apart from the whole. I have no idea what that means. You can understand it. You can eat it. People order bunless chicken Ooh, sandwiches. Right now. Summon. If only Chick-fil-A were open right oh. now. Closes at like nine. What are we even talking about again? Oh, C.S. Lewis, right? And your bizarre views on food. Well, we're definitely I love how you call it a view this. on food. It's like every you know, your bizarre <laughs> views on food. It's like a, it's a philosophical like treatise. It's that the I've topic written. of your upcoming bestseller. It's with Zondervan called. Tell him the title. Do we have a title yet? Tell What's, him. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. Make one up. <laughs> Brian's Taco Bells. I was gonna make a Brian's Bells. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That could have gone face. in a lot of directions. I know. That's all I could come up with on the spot. Well, now that we've got that out of our system, we can we can go to something more wholesome. Indeed. And uh, Indubitably. Today's, today's a special day, right? Because we're continuing our Mere Christianity series. Yeah. But we're not just continuing it. We are... We are finishing. Finishing it's it. It's kind of sad. It's taken us how long? 16 years. 16 years. <laughs> you've grown, you, you have three kids now. I do. You've grown a beard and shaved it off and grown it back. That's and exactly. Multiple times. <laughs> but uh, this is quite the achievement. And uh, For us or for our listeners or both? For both. For both. <laughs> but mostly us. Yeah. But uh, if you guys want... Yeah, and I don't know why you wouldn't want to, if you're an insane person, maybe. But you can go back through the Four Oaks Midtown podcast, and you can find our previous episodes on this. We have probably 10 or 11. I think so, yeah. This. It's actually not too bad. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great – hopefully this is a good guide if you pick up the book yourself, which you should, because it's just a fantastic book. And uh, But we are going to be wrapping up. And in, in, in these last two chapters, Lewis really brings everything full circle. Mm -hmm. And in these last two chapters – he really talks about two things. One, he tries to answer the question, why uh, don't Christians seem nicer than non-Christians? Yeah. Interesting way to pose it. And the second thing he looks at uh, is what does it mean to be ourselves? Mm -hmm. Like When we say I want, I'm trying to find myself or I'm trying to be authentic to myself or whatever, however we phrase it, it's interesting that Lewis is still dealing with those problems or, or those questions even back in the 60s. Yeah. So... It's a question about why Christians aren't nice and a question about what is a Christian identity, really? Yeah. Like, how, how, do, we, how do we have a self-understanding? So the first one is, okay, why aren't Christians nicer than non-Christians? Which is an interesting way to pose this question. Mm -hmm. And really, it's a question about what is conversion? What happens at conversion? And how do we understand conversion, right? How do we understand what it means to be a Christian? 
And basically, he says, one, you'll know it by its fruits, right? I mean, he says that this is um, uh, conversion, if it's to be a real thing, it's going to sort of be like uh, you can feel better after recovering from an illness, but unless your temperature changes, yeah. you're not really getting better. And in right. the same way, you can feel like you're saved, but unless your your actual behavior changes, you, you're not really a Christian. Yeah. Um, it's it's that James principle of faith that works is dead. Not mm-hmm. saying that works contribute to your salvation in any way, but rather the natural effect of somebody who is saved is going to act in a way that's consistent with Christ. Not perfectly, yeah. but that's yeah. the trajectory of their lives. Then so that leads naturally to the question of, well, we look at the world and we look at a bunch of Christians and we see lots of non-Christians who seem to live sure. pretty good lives, who are nice, who are generous, who are caring. And then we've got Christians who are belligerent and mean and really difficult to be around. And you look at those and you go, well, if Christianity means something, if conversion actually does something to change a person, why is it that this person who's a Christian is just a lot more unpleasant to be around than these non-Christians right. who just genuinely nice people? So what's what's the deal? Like if, if you're a skeptic looking at Christianity, you're going to say, I don't want to be part of a religion where I can't even sort out who the Christians are from the non-Christians are in the world. Because some Christians are worse than non-Christians and some non-Christians seem better. Right. And we can't underestimate the effect that has on on witness. I mean, and, and yeah. Lewis gives a couple reasons in response to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one is basically the, I, the, the sort of the, the idea of splitting people into Christians and non-Christians. Now, in one sense, that's true. Yeah. But I think he's talking about more in a practical sense of everybody's in process. Mm-hmm. So there are some <clears throat> people who, uh, he says, there are people who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who call themselves that by name. And he says some of them are clergymen. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, they're people who are professing the faith, but by their actions, they're turning away from it. And in right. 10 years, they're going to reject it. Mm-hmm. Then there are people who are on their way to becoming Christians. They're right. going to Bible studies, they're interested in the faith, they have some Christian friends, and they're heading towards it. And then there's people all the way in between. Yeah, yeah. So one, he's basically saying, look, it's, it's not as easy as dividing people as you're in and you're out, sure. because people are in process right. as we perceive them. Yeah, like yeah. we don't know the mind of God. We don't right. know where people are all at. Yeah. So to say that this guy, you know, he says he's a Christian, but he's a terrible person. Well, he might be one of those people that's revealing that he's actually not a Christian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And someone who's really nice and growing in their virtues might actually be on the way to becoming a Christian and you're sure. catching them in the, in the middle of the process. Right. So it's not always neat and tidy to, to identify or categorize right. Christians and non-Christians. Yeah. Then it gets a little, uh, it gets a little, uh, this is where I come to Lewis's defense. Okay. Okay. It gets a little, you, you do your thing fuzzy. Cause he says there are people in other religions who are being led by God's secret influence to concentrate on those parts of their religion, which are in agreement with Christianity and who thus belong to Christ without knowing it. For example, a boost of goodwill may be led to concentrate more and more on the Buddhist teaching about mercy and leave in the background, though he might still say he believed the Buddhist teaching on certain other points. Yeah. Um, so why do you think that sounds universalisty? Okay, I don't know if it's universalism because okay. universal, <clears throat> like universalism would say that you, there's salvation outside of Christ, right? And then, but there's other forms that say it's through Christ, but they might not know it's through Christ and stuff like that. And 
So I think, okay, there are people in other religions who are led by God's secret influence. Well, God's sovereign over everything, so yeah. there's a sense in his providence mm -hmm. to concentrate those parts of the religion which are in agreement with Christianity. Yeah. I can think of Muslims who are drawn to Jesus. Sure. You know, even though they only think he's a prophet, right. at least that's sort of the seeds are planted of just like, that's gonna hopefully draw them to full yeah. faith. Yeah. I don't know about the who belong to Christ without knowing it. That's a little, yeah. it seems like he's saying they're Christians. You can be a, a, a full practicing Muslim and be a Christian. Well, he's saying that like you can be elect and not be aware that Jesus is Lord. Maybe that's one way of putting it. You that, mean that, like you could be elect sort of the, that at that moment you won't, but at some point you will? Yeah. So okay. so he also talks about this in the Narnia, in the last battle with Tosh. When, when Tosh. Yeah, there's the, the people who are the worshippers of Tosh. But then when Aslan shows up, they realize that what they called Tash was actually Aslan. They had the same qualities. So Lewis has come under fire from for saying that. The idea itself is not intrinsically universalistic because he still believes that it's through Christ that people are saved and only through Christ. It's a question of whether they have that, whether they need the conscious awareness that that is exactly what they're believing. Hmm. I see your wheels turning. I just, it w wouldn't that say though, like, so is conscious belief not required for salvation? I mean, can a baby who's elect be in the new creation? Yes. Right. Or somebody with like mental yeah. issues. Yeah. Mentally disabled individuals who. But what about, you know, all with, are without excuse? You know, Romans 1. Yeah. I mean, I think you. Condemned by their own conscience. Sure. Yeah. But, but again, there, you, you can believe that there's a. God, that there's an order to the world, that there's a, right. a, a lawgiver, that we're right. accountable to that God. When Paul goes to the, I, I, it's in Acts 17, he proclaims yeah. to them the God that you've previously called the unknown God. Right. I've come to proclaim to you. So there's there's a kind of like, well, you, you, you could believe that there is this God, that there's this moral accountability force and not know that his name is Jesus. But if you're presented with that information, you would have converted. So how would you, but then what, what would be the point of missions and evangelism about Jesus? Why not just let them? Because it's a really good thing to be part of the church while you're alive. Like the church and inclusion in the body of Christ is supremely important. But the only benefit is in this life? I think the church helps definitely with, you know, people who wouldn't have otherwise been saved. Yeah. Like giving them a life-saving message. But in terms of eternal salvation, what would be the point of preaching to Muslim people? Are you saying that that uh, this could happen, but it's the exception to the rule? I think so. And it's not something we should be banking on? Yeah, I think the normative way that the church grows is through preaching and through people being converted. And so these these cases, I think, are supposed to be sort of anomalies, where someone is led by their conscience towards something that they don't know quite yet. But it is, it's the mystery of Christ that they haven't yet understood as right. Christ. And, and I guess in the context, it seems like Lewis is, he's more talking about um fruit he's talking right. people on a journey right so like the end of the journey is christ they just haven't right. gotten there yet right and so right. it could be 10 years it could be 20 years it could be whatever but yeah and it's like there's they're sort of two tracks the person who claims christ but lives in a way that is opposed to him right. is going away from it right right yeah. yeah a person who doesn't know christ but is growing in virtues I, I would has I wouldn't, but I don't think that they're saved because of that because that'd be no, more sure. salvation. Right? Yeah, yeah. But 
it's sort of like comparing it where it's like, is it better to, I mean, is it better to say you believe and not live the life or live the life, but you don't really necessarily say you believe. And I guess in the sense of final salvation, it's, you know, you still want to have faith in Christ. Yeah. But in terms of like how you view people, it's like, well, there can be virtuous pagans who, and, and, and I don't, I'm trying, I'm thinking a lot. Maybe it's like this. Like the people that Jesus meets in the gospels, the prostitutes, mm -hmm. the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the poor. Yeah. Um, they, they, in a sense, are closer to the kingdom of God than the Pharisees who believe the quote unquote right things, but don't live in accordance with it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that those poor people, tax collectors, prostitutes can be saved apart from Christ. Right. It just means that if you're going to pick one category to be in, it would be it would be better to be in the prostitute category than the Pharisee category. It's, it seems like. I mean, uh, the difference between the prostitute and the Pharisee is the prostitute trusts God. Actually right. trusts. Uh, the Pharisee doesn't actually trust God. Right. The Pharisee trusts his own devices and the law and the political order. And the, the prostitute's the one that's come to their their like the rope's end and says, I need to throw myself on something else or I'm, I'm, I'm done for. And I think that that's the attitude that Lewis even talks about the, the poor in spirit. Those who, who don't have the luxury of religious education, those who don't have um, noble backgrounds, who didn't grow up in amazingly, uh, you know, Christian or religious households, those are the, the poor in spirit who didn't have those opportunities. For them, they're almost closer to the kingdom of God because they don't have anything that they can depend on. Right. At least if if you if you grow up in a good family, Lewis says, you have like a natural tendency towards virtue and generosity. And there's a tendency or temptation there to realize or to think, I don't need God because I've right. got this, right? But if you don't have that, if you grow up in a really horrible situation and you're one uh one bad decision away from jail or worse, there that kind of precarious situation is almost one where you have to rely on something else, right? Sure. You're like, you're almost right there. And so I guess, it, well, I think the most modest claim would be conscious faith in Christ. That's the normative way. Yeah. Right. And that's what you'd strive for. Yeah. But could it work this other way? Maybe, possibly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think we could rule it out entirely, but it's not something that we should go to full-blown universalism or lose the exclusivity of Christ. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think Lewis was trying to do that at all. Right. I think he he understood from the start that right. there's only one name under heaven by which men are saved. Sure. Um, it's a question of, in those cases of the anomaly cases, is it necessary that there be a conscious ascent right. in their lifetime? I think he's leaving room for for God to say, well, right. and yeah. also that their people can have a conscious ascent in their lifetime and, and not, still not be Christians. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's not just about right. ascent to a proposition. Right. It's about trust in right. Right. Christ. Yeah. Uh, he goes a little further and he says this whole deal about being nice, uh, it's got to go a little deeper, right? Some people are nice because of their upbringing, their temperament. Yeah. Right. But he says, he, he says that we got to go deeper than that because it's not so much that there's two people. He uses Miss Bates and Dick. So Miss Bates is uh, unkind, and Dick is kind of a nice guy, right? Are these characters from literature? I this is no where idea. I realize I may be just culturally uneducated. Lord of the Rings, but uh, <laughs> one of the things that God's or that uh, Lewis talks about 
uh, is that there's a temptation to think that because you're nice, you don't need God. Like, right. like the, yeah, the yeah. like virtue is equal to niceness. Yeah. Right. Uh, so when we want to say that we want Christians to be nice, well, it's like, well, what do you mean by nice? Mm-hmm. Right. Number one, no one's as nice as they should be. Right. But number two, even your definition of nice might be off. Sure. Right. Um, and he also brings brings the idea to, he says, God has allowed natural causes working in a world spoiled by centuries of sin to produce in Miss Bates the narrow mind and jangled nerves which account for most of your nastiness. He intends in his good time to set that part of her right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he kind of talks about how God's anxious about her free will and whether she's going to do it or not. And I don't know. I kind of, it kind of humanizes God too yeah, much. Yeah. But I get the point where... Uh, one of the things that we have to realize is some people are nice simply because of temperament. Mm-hmm. Some people are less, right? But the grace of God is not comparing the two, but comparing them to who they were. So the thing with Miss Bates is, look, God is the one who designed her whole life, right? And in his good time, he's going to do his work on her, yeah. right? So you might meet a grumpy Christian and you go, but that's a Christian in process. Right, right. Right. So you can't judge the whole thing by that. Yeah. And I think a lot of judgmentalism in the church would go away if we had a vision of that. Yeah. Yeah. If we had patience with people and recognize right. that everybody's in process, you, me, everybody. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that it's not fair to say that Dick is, you know, a more spiritual guy simply because he's nice, because maybe that's just his temperament. He's yeah. just that way. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that when we go, why aren't Christians nicer? Well, one, what do you mean by nice? Right. You know, is, is that really the goal? And two, even with niceness, uh, that could be due to a whole host of factors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also in the case of the person. So, so like you said there, when we judge, you can't just sort of judge all people together and try to lump the Christians and the non-Christians. So Lewis's answer is you have to look at the life of the individual to see where it started and where it is. And he gives the toothpaste example, which is pretty helpful. He said, you can't, you can't make a claim about the efficacy of toothpaste by looking at the entire population. Right. You have to, so let's say somebody has extremely white teeth, but they were just born that way, never used toothpaste. But Lewis talks about himself. He's like, I've been using toothpaste my whole life and my teeth are still not great, but still they're better than they would have otherwise been. Right. Or they're That's better the than it would have been a couple right. years ago. So even though, so imagine somebody else who's got perfectly white teeth right. and you look at them, they go, oh, well, they don't, they don't need toothpaste, but also their starting point is different. They've got the white teeth. For somebody who's got the the colored teeth, you see the efficacy of the toothpaste in that over years, it begins to do its work, right? Right. It's not as bad as it could have been without the toothpaste. And and you go, you compare Christians and non-Christians, it's like, it's it, this comparison shouldn't be a Christian and non-Christian. It should be the Christian and to what he would have been like exactly. if he was a non-Christian, yeah, right? Yeah. And it may be that these Christians are the worst people, and they yeah. needed that, you know. Yeah. But, but but that's the other point that that Lewis makes, where he says uh, that it is the what, worst people that right, God right. works in. Yeah, right. He says uh, uh, natural gifts carry them a natural uh, similar danger. So mm-hmm. natural gifts being maybe you're naturally friendly, naturally. Right you know, a kind person. If you have sound nerves and intelligence and health and popularity and a good upbringing, you are likely to be quite satisfied with your character as it is. Why drag God into it, you may ask? Mm -hmm. A certain level of good conduct comes fairly easy to you. So people can just be, you know, people can be respectable because that's just how they grew up or they have enough money to dress a certain way or they just are cool and easy and it looks like trusting God when really they just- Self-dependence. They just have a low, you know, heart rate or what, resting heart rate, yeah. whatever. 
Um, and it can be easy to mistake in that for 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 something virtuous. When yeah, really, yeah. it's like you just mm -hmm. got that right. He even says, if you're a nice person, if virtue comes easy to you, beware. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's there's a worry there that that what you're doing is relying on sort of natural inclinations and the tendency to become so self-dependent that you don't realize that everything that you have, even the easiness with which kindness and generosity comes to you, that comes from God. Right. And the point there is the Christian... The Christian is the one who, even if the virtuous activity comes easily, recognizes that that comes from God and then gives it back to God. So Lewis has this idea of God's gifts to us are gifts that we offer back to him. And the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is the one who says, everything that I have, all of my gifts and inclinations and even the good virtues and the stuff that I have, that's something that I don't have myself. I was born in a gr good family. I had a really great education. That was God's grace. And I recognize that I didn't do that of my own willpower. Um, so that that acknowledgement that it's not of my own, that's the mark of the Christian there. That that humility, that that radical understanding of dependence on God, that there's nothing of me that did this. There's no difference between me and that other person who's naturally belligerent, but it is really just grace. Well, he has a really provocative phrase here where he says, a world of nice people, content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world hmm. and might even be more difficult to save. So if everybody was nice and polite, they would feel self-satisfied. Yeah. They would be self-righteous. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, well, I'm nice. I don't need God. And that would show just how much they need God, that they're that deluded. Right. Right. Their standard of niceness is low. Yeah. And even what their niceness is, is just sort of a, a political kindness. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and, 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 he, and he takes it further when he says that we're not looking for mere improvement. Yeah. We're looking for redemption. Right. And that improvement, you know, that the person you see now who's converted, you might go, well, they're still kind of a jerk. Right. Well, they're not done changing. Yeah. And what they will one day be in the future is something you can't even fathom now. Yeah. Talking about the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Right. And Lewis says that God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. I love that. Yeah. So that's some good theology where we believe that, you know, there's there, the, the storyline of the Bible is creation. We're creating a good world with a good God. Mm -hmm. Fall, we sin turned away. Redemption, God uh, becomes one of us, dies for our sins, breaks the power of death over us, changes us. And then consummation is one we are not just returned to our Edenic state, Adam and Eve and right. creation, but <clears throat> gone beyond that. Yeah. That we actually become everything that, that, that Romans 8 talks about, we're revealed as the adopted sons of glory. Yeah. So there's a glory yet to be revealed in us mm -hmm. that we don't quite see yet. So every Christian you meet is gonna be still in progress till the day they die. Right. And you have mm -hmm. to recognize that. And it's unfair to be like, well, why aren't you this perfect person? Or why do you still have flaws? Well, it's because you're not done yeah. changing yeah. yet. Right, and that God is after a radical transformation yeah. of His people. Yeah. Right. If yeah. you're a Christian, God has a curriculum for you and an end goal for you that's beyond anything that you can think. I love how He even takes the the metaphor and draws it even further with the the horse becoming the winged creature. He says, 
when the horse gets its wings first, it, it, the wings look like nubs and they're not fully right. formed and it's kind of stumbling and bumbling about and it can't even jump a hurdle, let alone fly. And so you might think the natural horse is doing much better at jumping the hurdles and you've got this winged creature that can't even jump the hurdles just yet, but it's still a different kind of creature. So the Christian is a different kind of creature that in the long run, you're going to see that it looks differently even though in the immediate context, it might not look super impressive, but it is fundamentally a different thing. And the evidence is borne out over eternity, right? And so that's that's the key. Lewis is trying to zoom out and look at things from the perspective of eternity. But yeah, if you take a little time slice, the non-Christian might look more impressive in their generosity. But when you look at where this person who is a non-Christian now is a Christian now, who's the son of God, look at their trajectory, it's far more impressive. Because right. that Christian is a new creation, right. not just not just different in degree, not just having more virtues, not just a better version of the old thing, but a totally new kind of creature. Well, that goes on to the next chapter, if you yeah. want to jump there, where he talks about new men. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, it's not a change from brainy men to brainier men. It's a change that goes off in a totally different direction, a change from being creatures of God to being sons of God. Yeah. Now, now he goes on a tangent about evolution. Yeah. Um, which is, it seems like he affirms evolution. He does, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Lewis basically says, you know, with his theory of evolution, uh, we're going from one form to the next and improving and growing. Right. Um, but he says that in during his day, people were taking that and going, well, there's a next evolution for man. And they imagine him being super strong, yeah. super whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but what if evolution, the next step for man is the Christian vision of what he should be? Right. Yeah. And it's actually surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's not that you're this super dominant, super intelligent, super powerful man, but rather the next stage of evolution for a man is to be a son of God, which, right. which is an interesting way of putting it. I yeah. mean, he's, yeah. he's kind of taking <clears throat> the, 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 uh, very atheistic kind of evolutionary theory mm-hmm. and going, well, what if we can take the concept of that, but apply it to Christianity? Yeah. That, that in a sense to be a resurrected son of God is the final step in our evolution. Well, and he talks about how we even see what that new version of man looks like in the incarnation. So there's a concrete example 2000 years ago in Jesus Christ of what that next step of humanity is supposed to look like. And ironically, that next step of humanity is what humanity was supposed to be the entire time, but for the fall. So we, we can't achieve what humanity is supposed to look like. We can't achieve Christ-likeness. We can't achieve perfect submission to God. We can't achieve perfectly in harmony with our neighbor. But that is from the beginning what human was supposed to be. Right. We've lost that because of Adam's sin. Jesus is the prototype. Exactly. So we have a glimpse of that. Yeah. And Lewis calls him the first instance of the new man. Yeah. Yep. Right. And again, I mean, he touches on this so much through mere Christianity, the centrality of the incarnation Mm. that that God in the incarnation is showing us that human beings have dignity right. and that God would humble himself to take on our flesh to lift us up. Yeah. That Jesus Christ being raised is raising us with him. Sure. He's going, this is my future for humanity. And mm-hmm. if you're in me, you're gonna have this future. Yep. This resurrected future, you're gonna be exactly what God designed a human being to be. Uh, and so in that sense, this is the evolution, yeah. you know, to what we're, what we're uh, supposed to be, the, 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 the finality of the human being. Hmm. Uh, 
he, he goes on and talks about how, um, you know, to be holy, and he takes the idea is, is rather like he says, is, to be holy is rather like joining a secret society. Now, when he says holy, it's being Christ-like, yeah. being more human, right? right? Mm-hmm. To put it at the very lowest, it must be great fun. <laughs> and uh, and this is kind of what he tries to fight against. He fights against the idea that being holy, being Christ-like, is being some kind of quote-unquote religious person yeah, yeah. that you've formed from cultural ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that the, the genuine holy person is going to look like this. They're not going to draw attention to themselves, mm-hmm. right? You are going to think that you're being kind to the holy person when they are really being kind to you. They love you more than other men do, but they need you less. That's really interesting, hmm. right? Yeah. So there's a love without a neediness. There's a self-sufficiency that they have that allows them to be gracious and charitable towards you. So this sounds like a fun, good, cool person to hang out with, not yeah, some yeah. stodgy, rigid, grumpy, condescending, angry person who's just religious and stiff upper lip and all that stuff. Mm. And so Lewis is like, look, you know, this vision of a human should be a pretty delightful, compelling vision of what a human being should be. Yeah. It's like, or I mean, early in Mere Christianity is when he tells us about the humble person, the right. person who doesn't go around telling everybody, look at how worthless and horrible I am and... The humble person is just someone who enjoys life, seems to not have too many worries. You have a conversation with him. He seems genuinely interested in what you have to say. And he's a generally just pleasant person. And if anything, you feel envious of his carefree, contented life. Right. And so that kind of vision of Lewis has just a really good way of taking the virtuous life and making it pretty concrete and appealing. So that it's not just pie in the sky, uh, pharisaical unachievable, you know, whatever, but it is really attainable and compelling and free right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's what we, it's what we should want. And that's what is so insightful about Lewis is he talks about how the pursuit of Christ like this, the pursuit of holiness and people will ask this. And I think it's a great question. You know, if I become more like Jesus, am I going to be less like me? What happens to my personality, my quirks, Mm -hmm. my, you know, all this stuff. And Lewis says, well, actually, the more you become like Christ, the yeah. more you become yourself. Mm-hmm. And he uses the illustration of salt, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. He goes, if you add salt to something, and uh, it, what it does is it brings out the taste right. of the food, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, far from, and he says, far from killing the taste of an egg and the tripe and the cabbage. It actually brings it out. I don't even know what tripe is. It's a kind of fish. Oh, we, we talked about tripe, didn't we? Way when? back in the more in the uh, our oh, series on- Gaip. Gaip. Remember Gaip? Yeah, Gaip, right. Oh, what was wow, that? Oh, OG, wow. old school. Wow, look yep. at that. Shout out to our OG fans from, from day one. Fan. <laughs> but he says, look, if you, if you don't, imagine somebody had never eaten salt before and they taste it, they'd be like, wow. Uh, this is a really strong taste. Yeah. And then he'd be worried, well, if you put this in all your food, Everything is all food going like to taste that. the same? Right. Yeah. 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 And he goes, no. If you put salt in all food, it doesn't taste the same. Right. It tastes different because the salt, although it's in everything, it enhances, enhances and yeah. brings out the mm-hmm. flavor that's already there. In the same way, all Christians aren't going to look the same. Right. But being a Christian will actually bring out the unique personality traits yeah. of who you are. Because a lot of times, the personality that we create is based on our values, it's based on what people think of us, it's yeah. based on what gets us what we want, and if our values and the people around and what gets us what we, and what we actually want yeah. change, mm-hmm. then 
we're going to change too. And and so when you become a Christian, you're not becoming something other than who you you are. Right? And what does it even mean to know who you are? Yeah, like, yeah. It's so amorphous and vague I, and all yep. that stuff. But I think the biggest idea is that, uh, he's, and he says this, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become, right? The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. Yeah. So that's key. <clears throat> A lot of what you think is your unique you is really just your heritage, yeah. how your parents raise you, your friends and who you're around now and your natural desires. Sometimes so you're your sin that, too. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you're sin. Sometimes yeah. being the authentic you is being the sinful you. Right. Right. And, yeah. and the whole thing of conversion is that's no longer the authentic you anymore. Right. You might still sin, but that's not fundamentally who you are. Yeah. So when <clears> you become <throat> like Christ, you get a new heritage, a new upbringing, a new surrounding and new desires. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing about like, well, I just want to still maintain who I am. It's like, you're going to be you, just a redeemed you. You with new desires. Yeah. You're not going to be uniform with everybody else. I love, I mean, the way he ends the chapter and the book is so fitting because he talks about how the giving up of my hold on myself and my personality is actually the way to attain my true right. self. And he says that this principle exists in scripture with nothing can come to life again unless it first dies with seeds and all this stuff. And, and this little, he, so he just, I'm just going to quote it. Even in social life, you won't make yep. a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, you will nine times out of 10 become original without ever noticing it. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. That'll preach. So good. And isn't that, I mean, isn't that what Christ like this is? It's, oh, yeah. It's selflessness. Mm -hmm. It's looking away from yourself and looking to Christ. Right? And ironically, that, that's, that's where that's where true life is. That's where true life is. Yeah. And I love that. If you're sitting around in a social setting and all you're trying to do, it's kind of like when people yep. listen to a tape on like, here's listening techniques. <laughs> and they're sitting there thinking about their listening techniques right. while they're listening. Yep. Well, they're actually, they could throw out the book if all they did was genuinely listen. Yep. It would naturally come out mm -hmm. of them. Right? Or if you try to be original, you're never going to be original. Because you're if you looking just try at yourself to, too much. Yep. Yeah. If you just try to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it, it's, it's like originality and good impressions are a byproduct of pursuing something else. Yep. And finding your exactly. true identity and who you really are is a byproduct yep. of understanding Christ. Yep. And, and you can never attain it by focusing exactly, on it itself. Exactly. That's the whole point. That's it's a, it's elusive. It's like right. every time you shine the light on this little shadow, it disappears. Right. And so you have to focus on something else to attain it. And I think this is through like, it's in Narnia, it's in all those other books. Mm -hmm. Turning away from turning away from self. Yeah. You know, and not just turning away from self in some kind of like self-flagellating way, mm -hmm. but it's like looking at Jesus. Yeah. In him, there's everything you need. Exactly. Right? Trusting in him, not in your own righteousness. Trusting in who he is and what he says 
and not in what you say and, and what culture says and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some ways it's that simple. Yeah. I mean, he's just basically like all of mere Christianity is him going, follow Jesus, mm-hmm. obey him, trust him. It is him. just that simple. Right. We just overcomplicate and, things. And, and <laughs> however you do it in your station in life and whatever job you're working, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Look to Christ. Don't look at yourself. Yeah. And all those things will flow out of that. It's brilliant stuff. It's good stuff. Kind of sad that we're done with the series. I know. It's been really fun. DM us for the next book or topic you want us to cover. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Love to hear what you think about this Mere Christianity series. Again, they are all archived. You can go look back through our podcast channel. You can find all the old episodes, catch up with this. We got some stuff on Problem of Evil. We got some stuff on Christmas Myths. All this stuff, all this goodies you can look (laughs) Uh, look look back at. But thank you guys for joining us on this ride. We hope it was a blessing to you. We hope it was helpful. Uh, we certainly had a lot of fun doing it. Now we're going to get some uh, Taco Bell. That's right. <laughs> I don't know about that. Pick up Mere Christianity. Read it. Read it again if you've already read it. And uh, hopefully uh, you can share this with your friends. We are out. Peace.